okay, so I mentioned that we are going to the beach in a couple hours. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so I've been actually, and I probably sound like it right now, I've been going about 90 miles per hour for like the last seven days, trying to get everything going, everything working and things like that. Um, but I did get to take one breather this week. And that was when I saw a movie called Thor Love and Thunder on a Friday. Saw it with uh, my family. My parents are visiting town. My boys, Mr. Caleb McLean right there. Um, our, our, my kids and Abby's kids, they have this thing where anytime an MCU movie comes out, they go see it together. And so we made this promise. We were going to go see Thor Love and Thunder. Um, and it's funny, like Clay, he'll get up here. He's like, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal. And then I come up here and like, let me tell you about a movie with a rock person and the God of Thunder. Um, you know, that's what I like about this church, different things for different people. But anyway, um, so I'm going to talk about Thor, Love and Thunder. Well, actually, can I just talk with you about Chris Hemsworth for just a second? Um, it's really not fair that a person like Chris Hemsworth exists. Like, for someone who looks like him to also be as funny as he is. It's just, like, Donovan's a funny person. And Donovan looks fine. But, like, if Donovan looked like Chris Hemsworth, I would not bother to talk in church at all. Because I would come up and do communion. They're like, where's the funny model guy? And I'm like, I'm just as disappointed to be up here as you are. Um, so Chris, he makes it tough for us. Um, that, I, that is not what the sermon is about. It's just, that's, I just, this is a safe space. I needed to express that. Um, back, back to the movie. Uh, so Thor, Love and Thunder exists in this world where all of these mythological little G gods exist. Um, there's Thor, who's the God of Thunder. There's Zeus. Um, there's all these deities of alien planets and stuff like that. And uh, so the movie opens, and I hope I'm not spoiling anything for you. This is just the first scene. But the movie opens on this um, desert, on desolate, distant planet. And there's a man, and he is cradling his daughter. And you learn that she's dying. And so the first part of the scene is this man basically crying out and praying and singing to his god, uh, who's called Rapu begging for his daughter to be saved, begging for her life. And there's no response. And the daughter dies and he buries her in the desert and he lays on top of the grave and he cries over it. And then, because this is a Marvel movie, he's summoned by an evil mythical sword. Um, but he finds himself in the presence of this God he had been praying through this whole time, Rapu. And at first, uh, the character's name is Gore. Gore is really just in awe and honored to be in the presence of this God that he has spent his whole entire life worshiping and looking toward and praying. And then he discovers that Rapu is this God that does not care at all. He is disgusted by Gore's presence or the presence of any mortal who would dare be in his presence. He mocks him. And then when Gore continues to protest, we pray to you, we, we sing praises to you, the God tries to strangle Gore. And then things happen, the evil mythical sword in the movie takes off. Um, but throughout the film, Gore's perspective is that the gods are selfish and uncaring. 
They do not have any concern for what happens with the people who worship them. Just last week, we kicked off a series on why the world needs Jesus. And as Christians, we believe that when we look at Jesus, we see God. And so I want to just start off with that by providing a contrast. In Jesus, as we'll see in this week's text, we see a God who is not cruel, a God who is not uncaring, a God who is a distant deity. Rather, we see a God who was and is with us, acquainted with all of our joys and all of our sufferings. So why does the world need Jesus? Because Jesus shows us that God is here and God is with us. So Luke 17, 11 through 21, it takes place within a part of the gospel where Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem, heading towards Holy Week, heading towards his crucifixion. But he is seemingly taking a very circuitous, indirect route. Luke tells us that Jesus is traveling along the border between Galilee and Samaria to Jerusalem. And that's not really a way people would go to those places. Like Galilee and Samaria, the border's kind of like here, and Jerusalem's down here. And so um, we're not really sure if Luke was just bad at geography or if Jesus was lost or if Luke is trying to make some sort of bigger, deeper theological point. Uh, I came across a quote from Fred Craddock that I loved. He said that geography is sometimes literary, sometimes theological, and sometimes physical. So maybe like Gore at the beginning of Thor, Jesus is in the middle of nowhere. Yet in the middle of nowhere, Jesus is not alone. There are 10 men who had leprosy who came upon him, and from a distance they shouted, Jesus, have mercy on us. Now, we're not completely sure what biblical leprosy looked like, but we do know that it was a disease that required people to be removed from their community and cut off from all social, economical, and religious contact. Lepers would live together in colonies because until they were deemed clean and cured, that was the only community that they had. I can only imagine how devastating it would be to be so thoroughly cut off from those that you loved, so isolated from your own life. So these men needed their leprosy healed, yet also they needed a whole lot more healing than that. So Jesus heard them, and he had mercy on them, and he told them to present themselves to the priest, which is how they would have been cleared to reenter the community. And on the way to the priest, they were healed. A miracle took place. Now this is where our story takes an interesting turn. None of the men who got healed, they disappear from the story. We don't see them again. We don't hear from them again. Nothing like that. But one man does return to Jesus, and he is a Samaritan. Now, generally speaking, Jewish people and Samaritan people, they did not get along at all. In fact, there's a passage where um, Jesus is speaking to some people, and a guy insults Jesus by saying, you're a Samaritan, you have a demon. And you're not really sure which is the worst insult for him, but you knew that both of them were pretty bad. Um, but one of the primary conflicts between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people was how to worship God. The Jewish people believe that you should worship God in Jerusalem. The Samaritans believe you should worship in Mount Gerizim. Regardless, the two people that didn't get along, they didn't associate all of which puts our Samaritan leper in a really strange kind of limbo type of place. He was an outsider. 
Now, if it were not for the very disease that put him in that community, he would have been an outsider to the other people who were lepers with him. The other people, we, from the text, believe that they were also Jewish. And so the only reason they associated with him is they had nowhere else to go. But he knew that once things changed, once he got cured, they were going to walk away from him, leave him. So he was not just an outsider because he was a leper. He was an outsider within this community of outsiders that he was with. He was literally and relationally in no man's land. And can you imagine the pain and grief of such an existence? To be cut off from your family, cut off from your home, and the community that you do have is just really, really tenuous. And you know it could fall apart at a moment's notice. So, imagine this person in the middle of nowhere crying out to God. He didn't know if he would be heard but he is begging for restoration and connection. He's pleading to be reunited with his community. He's pleading to be made whole. In that unmapped place off the beaten path, he comes into contact with someone who can help, someone who will listen to his cry. When he was walking to the priest, and probably a different priest than the rest that we're walking to, the Samaritan realized that God has heard his prayers. And he is not content to just fade into the background, to disappear into the story like the other nine do. Instead, he runs back to Jesus and falls at his feet, thankful, grateful to the one who hears him, who's with him, who heals him. Right after this story, Jesus is speaking with a group of teachers, and they ask him when God's kingdom is coming. And Jesus is a very good person to ask this question to because throughout his ministry, he's been saying that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is near. And so the reign or the kingdom or the community of God, it means different things to different people. Yet generally, this means something that will bring about peace and wholeness and salvation. So Jesus has been preaching that the kingdom of God is near and this group of teachers wants to know When will this kingdom arrive? Will there be signs in the heavens? Will there be lightning and thunder that will show us the way? What will indicate that the kingdom is coming? After all, something of God must be impressive. It must be something that will make us stand up in awe, an arrival that would announce itself in a spectacular way. So also in Thor, Love, and Thunder, um, the hero's journey to a place called Omnipotent City. And this is where all the deities of the universe convene. Um, It is literally a kingdom of gods. And it is opulent and it's majestic. Gold decorates everything you could possibly imagine. Zeus is the leader in the realm and he enters the grand assembly with lightning and spectacle. And he has this group called the Zeusettes that are at his side. Um, And it seems all powerful and it seems all really important. But Thor and the others, they come to realize that all of it is just a show. That all that majesty and spectacle, well, it's just a clanging gong. Because Zeus and the others, they don't really care what's going on with uh, other people. They just care about themselves. Jesus says that the reign of God is not some flashy spectacle. It's not something you can point to and say, ah, there it is. Or, oh, it's over here. Jesus actually says The kingdom of God has been in front of them all along. The kingdom of God is among you. 
I actually, I actually like uh, one of the Bible commentators I read this week. He said, a good, another way to translate what Jesus says is the great Southern word that we have, the kingdom of God is among y'all. I mean, it is among all of you. It is in your midst. Um, now, Jesus could be saying a couple of things here. He could be saying that, well, the kingdom of God is present in what I am doing in your midst right now. Uh, you see that in Luke a lot. Jesus gets up and he proclaims the year of the Lord's favor that the blind will see and the good news will be preached to the poor. When John the Baptist sends his disciples to ask, are you the Messiah or should we be waiting for something else? He says, the blind see, the dead are raised, those who can't walk can walk now. And people who have skin diseases are healed, just like in this passage. So the kingdom being among us, it could be Jesus' way saying, well, the kingdom is right here standing in front of you. But there's also another way that we can look at this also. Because Jesus' ministry seems to be about opening people's eyes to the fact that God is all around them and in their midst. In fact, the Gospel of Luke is like an Easter egg hunt for all of the unexpected places that God's kingdom shows up. Because in that culture and in that time, people would not have expected God's kingdom to show up in children, but Jesus says, let the children come unto me. In that day and time, people would not have expected women to be heralds of the gospel, but women are such a prominent and important part of Jesus' ministry. And they certainly would not have expected the kingdom of God to be present in a Samaritan like the one who came sprinting back to Jesus and fell at his feet. Jesus incredulously asked when that Samaritan bowed before him, he said, weren't there 10 others who were healed? What happened to the other nine? Did no one come back and give glory to God except this foreigner? He then tells a Samaritan outsider to get up and go back to his home because his faith has made him well. And that verb that is translated as made well is the same word that is often translated as to be saved. The Samaritan's leprosy has been healed, but so much more of his life has been healed also. So the proximity of this story to the Pharisees' question about the kingdom of God suggests that Luke wants his readers to recognize that the kingdom of God is with that Samaritan who turned back and ran to Jesus. The Pharisees would not have thought for a minute that God's reign would have been a present in someone like that, not a Samaritan leper. Yet it sprang forth an encounter between two people in the middle of nowhere. In fact, I would argue that the most amazing spectacle of that day was not so much the healing of leprosy, even though that is incredible, but it was the way that a person was restored in a context that overcame centuries of hatred and animosity between two groups of people. It was a way that love broke through all the other nonsense that often keeps getting in our way. The kingdom of God is among us all, and it is often in places that we do not expect. In John 3, Jesus compares God's spirit to the wind, you see it move and you blow, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. In Matthew, Jesus says that you will know a tree by its fruit and reminds us that anywhere that we see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, we know that God's kingdom is breaking through in those places. The kingdom of God is among y'all. You just have to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear and maybe the feet to go into the middle of nowhere to find it. So why does the world need Jesus? Jesus does show us that God is not some selfish deity who does not hear us or care about us. 
And Jesus, we see that God is well acquainted with our joys and our sorrows, our feelings of belonging and unbelonging. Jesus points out to us the places that God's goodness is springing up in the world. And if we have the eyes to see and ears to hear, we can see how God's reign is among us and we can join in with it. We are disciples and we are followers of Jesus. We are called to be like him and bring God's goodness and peace and justice into the world around us. In light of that calling of trying to live out God's reign, I want to close with a quote from the theologian Richard Vinson that I came upon this past week. In his commentary on Luke, Vinson draws upon the idea of Jesus being in the middle of nowhere and perhaps being a bit frustrated by the fact that he is in the middle of nowhere and he just healed 10 people and nine of them just completely ignored him and kept on their way. In relation to those nine, I think it's the only time I've read the word buttheadedness in any sort of religious scholarly context. Um, Vincent points out the kingdom of God work is extremely difficult, looking for God's kingdom, trying to live live it out, loving others, especially those different from us. It can feel a lot of times like we are wandering around in the middle of nowhere. So this is what Vincent says. For those of us who are trying to live out God's kingdom, Don't despair. Don't give up. Even when you think you're lost, don't give up. Even when you don't imagine you have one more wise word or one patient response in you. Don't give up if even 90% of the people you help fade away without a word of thanks. God is at work in the world, even or maybe especially in the unmapped places where people feel most estranged from what's holy. If you have the courage to stand in there in limbo with them, to stand where they can see you and you can see them, then you can be a part of amazing things. That's good news. That's the gospel, brothers and sisters. Amen.